This morning, we want to look at a a fourth character quality that, again, uh, just like uh, discipline, just like commitment, some of the others that we've talked about that, again, I think is really foundational to all of us learning how to sort of man up, and that is the subject of decision-making. And I think a major component to all of us building that stable and inspired course as a man is developing the quality in our lives of learning how to be a man who is not just making decisions, but actually making good decisions, making wise decisions. So if we were from starters this morning to think about really what that concept implies decision-making, you might, I think, define decision-making as a conclusion or a resolution after consideration. Let me say that again. A conclusion or a resolution that's reached after keyword, consideration. Usually when we make bad decisions, it's because we neglected the latter half of that. We don't do the consideration thing, and we make a snap decision or maybe a hasty decision, some of the things that we'll talk about this morning. So again, whether it's brief consideration or whether it's long consideration, that after consideration, we then reach a conclusion. So it's a selection of a course of action among two or more possible alternatives to pick from. So first thing I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning is really just the importance of decisions, or we might also say the impact of decisions. And the reason I want to begin there is because though we cannot control everything that happens in life, and we talked a little bit about that last time in our session together when we were discussing, discussing discipline and how there are a lot of things we can't control, but there are certainly other things in life that we can. And by living with a degree of discipline, having some structure in our life, uh, doing what we can to establish maybe some good routines, that those things help when the things we can't control transpire, if we are at least already regulating and kind of living with a disciplined structure life to a degree. Well, I think that applies in the area of decision-making as well. Though we can't control everything that happens, it is really amazing if we think about it how much we really can and do control in regards to our own personal choices. By us making certain decisions and making certain choices, we have a great degree of control over what happens within our own lives. You know, decisions will determine our life direction, and our life direction is always the thing that ends up determining the destination that we arrive at. So again, many a times, to a great degree, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but to a great degree, we really, really do have a lot of control over the life direction and destination that we end up at by simply making decisions that would contribute to that in a good way. And by the same token, we got to live by both sides of the sword. If you don't like your life direction and you are displeased or ashamed or bothered with your current destination, then you have to evaluate the reality of who made the decisions to get you to that destination. I mean, that's like you being the only one in the car driving. You don't have your little helper next to you telling you what to do. And you arrive at a destination or you end up getting lost. And then afterwards, you're mad at someone else. How did I end up not at the right spot I was trying to get to? Well, you were steering and determining the speed and making the turns and making the choices. And again, so very important that we live by both sides of that reality. The choices that we make will lead to the outcomes of our circumstances, 
And more than that, the choices that we make also determine our life experiences. That is in our heart and mind, whether we're dealing with peace internally or whether we're just all agitated or in turmoil and have the lack of peace. And the wonderful thing that we know from the Bible is that God has created us with a free will. That is the power to choose. We're created, the Bible says, in the image of God, and God is a, a determinant being in who he is. God makes choices. And so God has created us in his image and likeness in one of the ways that he has allowed us to be free moral agents and to be able to determine what we do in our lives, to make choices. God does not force us. He doesn't override our will and take that away from us. But we have to be able to be in control of making our own choices. And I think it's something that God wants us really to learn how to do well with wisdom being used, being a good steward of that. And it is, think about it, it's a really great responsibility. The fact that God allows us to decide. He lets me pick in situations. He lets me choose. That's a great, great freedom and privilege, but it also is a huge responsibility. He wants us to be a good steward of that, learning how to make healthy decisions, wise decisions, and I would say this, within the blueprint of God's word. So again, there is freedom, but within boundaries. And we have to remember that. God's like a good, loving parent. I've raised three daughters into adulthood. At a certain point, I allowed them. I wanted them. Part of the training was teaching them how to start making decisions. But until they left my home, they made those decisions within boundaries. I still maintained boundaries that they needed to observe because I was still the authority in their life, and I wanted to protect them and make sure they did well. But I gave them freedom within those boundaries. Well, same with God. We have boundaries. It's the word of God. It's what's according with the will of the Lord. But he gives us freedom to make our own decisions. And the key is making those decisions within that blueprint of the boundaries of God's word. And if I could illustrate a few things regarding decision making, I think decision making, one thing obvious is a lot like planting seeds, right? What you sow into the ground is the same thing that you're going to reap afterwards. It's going to produce in like manner. And we both have the freedom, but also the responsibility to make choices or to plant seeds. And one of the first verses I put on your handout there is Galatians 5.5, because to me, it's one of those verses that does remind about just this reality in some ways of the responsibility that we carry in our choices, and the circumstances of our lives, Galatians 5.5, 5, he says, for each one shall bear his own load. And so often we create the load in our life by the choices that we make, and we have to carry our own load. That's our responsibility through oftentimes the choices that we made, through the seeds that we planted, and now the harvest we're experiencing, or the fruit that we're dealing with, and we have to learn how to bear our own load. It's not my right, nor is it appropriate for me to make dumb choices and try and push the load off on someone else. We'll never learn that way. You make certain choices, now it's your job to carry the load for that and to manage that and to, to guide the way forward in connection to that. So we have a responsibility that we never want to neglect in our choices. And then there is just that reality of decisions as well, as I said, that what we sow, we reap. Again, Galatians 5, 7 says it this way, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Notice, don't be deceived. Why does God say that? Because sometimes we make decisions or sometimes we make choices and we're almost lying to ourselves, thinking I can make this choice, but there won't be a connected outcome to that. Or I can make this decision and there will be no consequential effect to that. And it's just a great deception of the devil. And it's just lying to ourselves in our own human foolishness when wrong things maybe are driving our decision-making. And he says, look, don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. God has set in order a certain way things operate. And just like in the natural realm, if you plant an apple seed, you're never going to get an orange tree. It's just not possible. He says, if you plant an apple seed, you're going to produce fruit in like kind. You're going to get an apple tree. And again, same thing with decisions. Decisions are like planting seeds. I always try and keep that concept in my mind, whether I'm making small decisions or big decisions. Every time you make a decision, it's, it's like you planted a seed. And, and it will reap according to the same kind. There are consequential outcomes. There will be fruit from what we decide. And look, that applies both good and bad. And so it's important that we remember to live by both sides of that and balance. That means if we make bad choices, there's going to be negative outcomes, right? We often say at times you can't sow to the flesh or your sinful nature and then pray for crop failure afterwards. It just doesn't work. What you sow, you reap. And if we sow to the sinful nature or we make bad decisions, we may reap some bad fruit or a rotten harvest for a season. The key is just stop planting in that field you're going to have to eat the rotten fruit and deal with it for a little while, but just stop planting in that field, and eventually that rotten harvest can go away if you stop planting in that field. But it will always be a good, nasty reminder as you remember the sour stomach and you look in the rearview mirror and you see that, and say, I don't ever want to plant in that field again. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was miserable. Now, on the other side of that, the benefit is Good decisions produce positive or beneficial results. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And if we sow to righteousness, we're going to experience right consequence, or, or right, if you would use that term, consequential effects in our lives. If we make good decisions, we're going to have good outcomes. If we make godly decisions, we're going to experience good fruit in our life. The key is think before you plant the seeds. Will I regret it? if I make this decision, or one day, here's the other side of that, will it be worth it? See, because bad decisions are usually make a bad decision, but there's immediate pleasurable gratification. But then the long-term consequence is where the misery comes in. So it's very obvious why we're prone to make poor choices at times, right? Because immediate gratification. Typically, bad decisions produce immediate fulfillment, fun, pleasure, satisfaction, but then down the road, as the fruit begins to, to be produced, then the misery and the, the regret comes. Good decisions are the opposite, right? If, if you go home today and decide, you know what, hey, I'm making a decision. I got to you know, shed some weight, get in shape, get my summer body ready, and you drop down and do your attempt at 50 push-ups and then some sit-ups and then some you know, calisthenics, you're not going to look any different the next day. In fact, you're probably going to feel worse the next day because you're so out of shape, now you're sore and all your muscles hurt and you're going, oh, what did I do that for? I feel like I'm in traction. No initial beneficial result. But if you sow that seed and then you do it the next day and you keep doing it and you keep doing it, then eventually the long-term thing is you may have 
a more healthy body, but it may not come until a little bit of time. There, there's that gap of time between sowing and reaping. It's deceptive and bad decisions. People make bad decisions, they make bad decisions, they make bad decisions, they think, oh, I'm not reaping any bad consequences yet. Because there's always a gap of time between sowing the field and then reaping the harvest. Don't be deceived by that. Pay attention. In the same way, oh man, I don't understand. I read my Bible and prayed three days in a row. What, what, I just don't understand why. Listen, sometimes there's a gap of time between sowing and reaping. You just keep doing good things. Keep doing right things and wait. And eventually the fruit will come. Keep making good decisions. Eventually there'll be that turnaround and you'll begin to reap the good harvest ultimately. You know, another illustration I think simply of decisions is they're not only like planting seeds, they're also much like hinges on a door. Like hinges on a door because decisions either do one of two things. They tend to open up opportunities for what's good or decisions also can do the exact opposite. Bad decisions can close off opportunities and have doors shut in our face and maybe bring an end to access to something that once existed in our lives. So good decision makers choose what's the best outcome both for them and for themselves because they understand the importance or impact of decisions. Secondly, I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about actually how to make healthy decisions. And I think this is an important thing to think about. It's one thing to understand the importance of decisions and the, the impact that they really do have on our lives. But a lot of times we struggle with, okay, well, how do I make good and healthy decisions? Well, Proverbs 16.3, it's in your notes there, says, commit your works to the Lord and your, notice, thoughts. I like that. And your thoughts will be established. So in everything that you do, the work that you put your hand to, the thing that you begin to pursue, he says, commit things to the Lord. And as you commit things to the Lord, the first thing you do when you wake up your eyes in the morning, Lord, I commit this day to you. Lord, thank you for getting me through the night and waking me up and just commit the day to the Lord. And he says, as we commit things to the Lord, our way, our works, then our thoughts will be a lot more established. So it's a wonderful way to just make the first best choice is to always commit whatever you're doing, your day, your task, whatever, to the Lord and to trust in doing that, that God will begin to better establish your thoughts and that our thinking patterns can be more on track. Now, I want to just kind of kind of briefly run through here, and I put down actually, and probably is even more, a, a dozen concepts to just help process healthy decision-making. So if you're a note-taker, I'll kind of you know, give them to you in that way. If you're someone who likes to jot things down, uh, I put together at least 12 things that I think kind of help with processing and making healthy decisions. The first one, if you're a note-taker, I would say is this, is filter things through the truth of God's word. Do you want to make good decisions, healthy decisions? Filter things through the truth of God's word. Does your thinking align with the truths of scripture? Is your thought process about that situation aligning with the principles of God's word? Ask yourself, is it approved in scripture? Can you check that? Can you validate that? Is it approved in scripture or the exact opposite? Is it forbidden in scripture? That should be a clear evidence there. Is me doing this or not doing this, is this something that's encouraged in the word of God, that, that, that's something that's good for his people, or is this something that's kind of more cautioned in the word of God or frowned upon or warned against? 
Is it approved in the scripture or is it forbidden in the scripture? And I would say aim to choose always when you make decisions in what pleases God, not what satisfies your desires, not what makes other people happy per se. Trust that God is wise and he is loving and his word gives to us his will and his way for our lives to be lived out best, especially in the long term. Now, in connection to that first concept, filter things through the truths of God's word, let me say the only way that you and I can align our thinking with God's word is you got to be in God's word. (laughs) You have to consciously take time and intentionally let God's word become written on the tablet of your heart, which means we need to commit some degree of time in discipline and commitment to discipline and staying at in some way as a routine, giving attention and time to God's word, letting it become the meditation in our mind. Because if God's word is in you and you are routinely in it, then I tell you more often than not, God's word will best direct your decisions. And we can make those decisions that align with God's word because we filtered our thoughts through the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, it's in your notes there, says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Look, if you're daily in the word of God, you're routinely in the word of God, God's gonna give you light and he's gonna make it more evident in the path that you're on, which way to go, turn here, turn there, take this route, take that route because the word of God will be giving you that light. Psalm 119, later on, verse 133, the psalmist prays, Lord, direct my steps, notice, by your word. One of the greatest helps in being a healthy decision maker, be regularly in the word of God. And it's amazing that God actually does want to speak to us. Lord, I don't know what to do. I need you to direct my paths. And then all of a sudden you're in your morning reading or you're reading through the scripture and some principle or some phrase pops up and it's, it's very clear. That's the word of the Lord right there. And he's directing your steps, helping you make the decision that you need to. The second thing I would say that helps with making healthy decisions is just pray sincerely asking for the Lord's will. Now, again, this may seem overly simplistic, but seriously, pray sincerely asking the Lord for his will to give you guidance, to give you wisdom, to show you the right way. Actually push the pause button on your desire to want to make a choice or to get a decision taken care of and realize God loves you greatly. And again, I have three adult children, daughters that I raised. If any one of that, because of my love for them as a father and the greater wisdom I had, if any one of them said to me, Dad, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I know that you love me. You want what's best for me because you care about me, and I know you have more wisdom than me. And Would you, would you tell me what to do? Would you give me God? Of course, as a loving father, I'm go- sure, let me help you, and I would give to them, to the best of my ability, guidance and wisdom. Well, look, God's a father. He wants to guide us. He wants to help us. So we have to pause and say, Lord, please, I don't want to make my choice because I believe ultimately your choice is going to be better. So, Lord, just make it clear to me. Make it evident. The Bible promises that he wants to and that he will. Look at Jeremiah 33, 3. It's in your notes there. Jeremiah, and this is in chapter 33 where it says Jeremiah was in a pit. 
He was in a dark, miserable, unpleasant place in his life, and this is his prayer from the pit. So if you're in the pit once in a while, or you're in the pit this morning, here's a good prayer, Jeremiah 33.3. It tells us that Jeremiah called upon the Lord, and then this is what the Lord's response to his prayer from the pit was, prompting him further. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What a wonderful prompting from God speaking to Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, I promise if you call out to me, I'm never going to put you to voicemail. I'm never going to neglect giving you what. If you call to me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Well, how many things in my life at times do I realize I don't know what to do here? I don't know what to do in this situation. And God says, if you ask me, I can show you things that you don't know because I know everything. I see everything. I know everything. All the days of your life are already written in my book, and God's got the whole book. I'm living life a page at a time. <laughs> but God's got the whole book. And so it's great to ask him, Lord, would you show me what I need to know? And he will do that. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Companion verse, James 1.5. Here's the New Testament companion. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and it will be given to him. So again, the Bible encourages us understanding we lack wisdom and that we can be foolish in our humanity and our, our, our lack of understanding. So God says, ask. If you ask for wisdom, God says, my promise is that I will give you wisdom from the Lord comes wisdom and understanding. And so how wonderful, Lord, I need wisdom in this situation. So you pray, Lord, would you give me wisdom? And then you believe and trust that the wisdom that after you've prayed that begins to come to you in time is the Lord giving you his wisdom so that you can act upon it with confidence and he helps you to begin to see what's the right way to process your choice or decisions. Psalm 143, verse 8 the psalmist prayed, show me the way that I should go, for to you I entrust my life. You know, that may be perfectly relatable to where you're at in your life right now. You have to decide this way or that way or not even sure what the way forward is. Lord, show me the way that I should go. Not how everybody else thinks I should go or, or show me the way that I should go. Which way, Lord? Show me that way that, that would be... in in a sense, aligning with God's will for your life. He says, for I entrust you my life. And I like that, Lord, because my life is entrusted to you and I want to serve you. Show me the way because my life's committed to you. The third thing I think is very helpful is that is this. Look for God's confirmation to show what's right. Look for God's confirmation to show what's right. By that, I mean circumstances that indicate God's will. It's often been said before that circumstances are like the invisible uh, kind of fingerprints of God upon this world. You know, God orchestrates circumstances. So by that, I refer to things like clear open doors or clear closed doors. Sometimes these are very helpful ways, trusting God is sovereign, we're praying, we're reading God's word, and then we look for open and closed doors. And again, we see this transpiring in scripture. I put in your notes there just for your own reference, two potential ideas where you can see that kind of played out. Jeremiah 32 is a great example in the Old Testament as Jeremiah is processing, actually he's processing a real estate transaction. 
And there as he's trying to decide what to do, and he's weighing out, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And then he says, this person comes and offers me to buy his land. I realized then this, I knew it was the will of the Lord. And again, he describes how circumstances connected to what things he was sensing and believing that he was hearing. Acts 16, there's that great New Testament example where Paul is trying to go into a certain area and it says the Holy Spirit forbid him. And then Paul said he pulled back and tried to go another area of Asia Minor. And, and, and he, again, he says, and the, and the Holy Spirit would not permit us. And then he retreated back again. He sought the Lord and he waited again. And then the man of Macedonia sent forth that invitation, come over here and help us. So what happened? Paul tried to go that way, door slammed in his face. Tried to go that way, circumstantial, door locked tight, no way. And then after two closed doors, then he gets an invitation for an open door, which was in alignment with what God's plan and will was for his life. So look at those things. I don't tell you to live by circumstances, but God certainly, when you're praying and in his word and walking with him, can certainly control those things. And they could be good factors to help in the decision making. A fourth thing I would say to do is this, is seek counsel and be humble enough to ask and receive input from others. Seek counsel and be humble enough to both ask and receive the input or guidance from others. In other words, receive advice. Take advantage of it. The Bible encourages this. All throughout the book of Proverbs, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, people fall or fail. But safety, protection is found, look at it, in a multitude of counselors asking a few trusted individuals for their input or advice. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is always right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel, not just asks for it, notice that, he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 13, 10, with the well-advised is wisdom. We often say, hey, make a well-informed decision. wonder where that idea came from. The Bible with the well-advised is wisdom. Seek to be well-advised. Search out ideas and thoughts, people that you trust, that you respect. Don't just ask anybody's counsel, but the people God's put in your path that you know can be his instruments to help you with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 22, look at it. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, plans succeed. So by wise counsel, wage your war. And then Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise in your latter days. Again, particularly for you younger gentlemen, how do you become wise in your latter days? Not just living life and gaining experience, but listening to counsel, having a teachable heart, receiving instruction from others around you is a great way to become wise in latter days. So again, I can't emphasize enough that seeking counsel before we make decisions can often spare us a lot of headaches. And many times it can help us to succeed much more. Ask yourself at times questions like this. Do those I respect support this choice? It's a good question to ask at times. Do those I respect support this choice or do those I respect maybe caution against it? Or are they say, I would not do that, man. And, and, and if it's somebody that you respect, it's wise sometimes to take that into consideration in your final choice. Fifthly, I would say this. It kind of ties somewhat to this fourth one. Fifthly, collect information or collect facts and consider all the options. 
This is kind of an expansion on what I just mentioned a moment ago about well-informed decisions. Before you make a decision, get the facts. Take a little time. Do a little bit of research. You're going to do something you've never done before. You know, right now I'm in the middle of navigating a, a home project myself. And look, I, I'm not a project guy. I'm not a construction guy. So do you know what I do? I try and learn everything I can so somebody doesn't come along and play me for stupid. And I want to make sure I'm as educated as possible and I understand as much as possible. My wife says, you act like you're going to school for that. I am because I'm going to spend money. <laughs> and I want to know. I want to, make, I want to hear multiple people's ideas and get multiple proposals. You know, just like I'm going to make a right decision by having the facts and the information. Again, Proverbs 14, 15 says only simpletons believe everything they're told by the first contractor that comes out. No, that's, that was my idea. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Proverbs 18, the heart of the prudent, look at it, acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Hey, I can't encourage you enough, gentlemen. You want to make good decisions, healthy decisions, the best chance at it, get the facts. Take a little time. Research. You know, if you're not somebody who knows a lot about that topic or whatever, and even just when you are doing things, the more you understand options and have information, you can make really good, well-informed decisions, which often will be much better. Sixthly, I would say this. Consider the outcome and envision where that choice is going to lead to. So when you're making a decision, and particularly when you're making those bigger, more dangerous decisions or situations that you realize there's some risk attached consider the outcome. Again, even when the flesh is prompting and tempting, hey, if I give in to the flesh, what's going to be the outcome to that? Consider the outcome. How will that decision impact you? And secondly, how's that decision going to impact others? Because our decisions also impact those connected to us. Seventh, beware of rushed or hasty decisions. Beware of rushed or hasty decisions. The Bible cautions about being impulsive, being too quick to make choices without thinking, jumping too quick. Proverbs 14, 29 says, he who is impulsive exalts, or the idea is promotes folly. Again, notice, impulsive. Great shopping verse as well. If you want to pass that along to your wife, that's a good one as well. Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it. So here's conversation. If you answer a matter before you hear it, take the time. It's a folly and a shame to him. Look, if you're a husband here, you should know that because that is husbandry 101 right there. Your wife comes to you. She gets two sentences in and telling you what's going on or what she's upset or concerned about. Two sentences in, you are already working on. By the third sentence, you're interrupting her, giving her the solution. And she says, all I wanted was for you to listen. I didn't want you to fix the problem. I just needed someone to pour my heart out to where we don't get all the facts and the information. Again, oftentimes when we answer a matter before we hear it out, look, you're handling things, you're managing things, this kid's fighting with this kid. Take time to hear things out. Hear things out first because many times that gives you a much better frame of reference how to make a proper decision. Too many times people make decisions when they hear one side of the story where they only see one side of the story. They see what happened. They've already made their decision. They never took the time to vet it out and say, hey, let me talk to this person too. Let me hear their side of the story. And, and that's a much wiser way 
And again, that's the idea of not being impulsive, even in those kind of areas. Don't be hasty. Leviticus 24, I, I love this passage. In fact, I actually just read this in my devotions recently. I'm going through the book of Leviticus, where the man blasphemes the name of the Lord and curses, and it says they bring that man to the Lord who blasphemed the name of the Lord and curses, and it says they took the man and they put him into custody until the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. I like that there. Something happened, transpired. They didn't immediately address the situation. They kind of put it, we might say, into a holding pattern. They put him in custody. They put the situation into a holding pattern. It says, until the will of the Lord became clear what to do. Sometimes that's really wise. Not only don't be hasty and impulsive, sometimes just put something in a holding pattern and let it sit in a holding pattern until you give a little bit of time that the mind of the Lord might be shown to you in the better choice or best decision. Eight, I would say, regulate your emotions and desires. And yes, men have emotions, and certainly we have strong passions and desires. So regulate that. In other words, beware of decisions when your emotions are elevated or when your passions are incited. And that can happen in lots of different ways, guys. We have to be careful of being driven by elevated feelings or desires in a moment. For example, being driven by fear. Maybe we're genuinely afraid and, and fear's gripping our heart, or maybe it's anxiety or worry. Don't let that drive you in how you make your decision. Decisions made by fear or directed by anxiety or worry are usually not the best decisions. Maybe it's strong longings or passions. You really want something, you desire something, and that drive and longing for it can kind of be the thing that pushes your decision. Again, another area, again, the, the, the overcoming kind of that impatient thing, or maybe anger. Something happens, you're genuinely angry, and you're mad, and you're frustrated. Look, wait until that anger cloud kind of settles down a little bit. Let the volcano spew and do what it's got to do emotionally, but let it kind of fizzle out, because if you make decisions in the elevated emotion or the passion, you're probably going to make bad decisions, or you're going to make a decision that you wish that you did not. Sometimes underlying motives even for why we do something or we won't do something can be a real problem. You know, in connection to this idea of regulating our emotions and desires, I put your notes there, 1 Samuel 30, and it's a story where the Amalekites came and they invaded David's camp and, and his men who were kind of, you know, there, they, they had their wives and their children, and David and his men were away fighting battles and doing their military raids, and they come back home to the camp at Ziklag, and they find that the Amalekites came in, they raided the camp, they kidnapped all of their wives and children, took them away as hostages, took all their possessions, left the camp burning in flames. They come back, they find this. David's men, these mighty men, it says they're weeping. They're overwhelmed at the trauma and the crisis of what's happened. Now, it would seem, follow my train of thought here, extremely logical to not have to think out, should we go chase those guys? They just kidnapped your wife and children. They just took all your possessions and burnt your whole camp up. Hmm. Do you think we should go rescue our wives and kids? Do you think we should go execute? But again, the emotions, everything within their emotions, the anger, the, you know, the love, everything within them saying, go do this. Of course go do this. It, it, you don't even got to think about that. But it tells us nonetheless, 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, that David, look at this, inquired the Lord saying, 
Shall I pursue this troop? Wow. Lord, it seems pretty obvious that I should pursue this. But Lord, I don't know everything, and my emotions are pretty elevated right now. Should I do this? Should I pursue this? Or am I just being driven by my emotions? And is there some reason I shouldn't do it? And he says, if I do it, am I going to overtake them? In other words, are we going to get defeated and maybe suffer more loss? Maybe they were supposed to regroup or you know, wait before they attacked. Or he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and without fail recover all. So again, God answered. And God said, David, yes, your emotions are, are heightened, but this is also what I want you to do. But the fact that he paused and he asked shows that he was regulating the emotions and not letting that just drive his decisions. Ninth, I would say this with making healthy decisions, learn from past decisions. That's good sometimes. Just learn from past decisions. Past bad decisions, I have a few of those. I'm sure you do as well. Learn from past good decisions, and life experiences are great teachers. So learn from past experiences. Think over things before you make the current decision because sometimes you already know the outcome because you've already done that before. You've already journeyed that road before. And you could say, look, I made this bad decision one time before. I don't want to make it again. I know what happens when you make this decision. Or I made this decision before, and it was hard, but I remember that when I made that decision, it ended up being the right decision. And I saw the benefit of it, though it was hard to make that good and right decision. So learn from past decisions. Life experiences are great teachers. Tenth, I would say this. Be aware of your own personality and character traits as a man. Be aware of your own personality and character traits as a man. All of us have kind of inclinations towards certain things, right? Some of you in this room, maybe you're more risk takers. Others of you, you tend to gravitate more towards being a conservative, serious-minded person or whatever, and you're more cautionary and you're slow moving. Know who you are because knowing your personality, your tendencies, that you're a unique person, knowing what you do about yourself, just keep that in check. And sometimes it's a good way in making decisions to realize, look, I, I need to keep in mind, I do just tend to gravitate towards being like this. That's just kind of who I am by personality. That's kind of my MO. It's kind of the way I operate. It's how I'm wired. Well, sometimes you got to reel that back in a little bit and realize I tend to be like this, so I don't want that to drive me and make me make a wrong decision. So again, you kind of, by patiently understanding who you are, it kind of helps balance out sometimes your own weaknesses and extremes. Keep that in mind when you're deciding, because if you know yourself, sometimes you can kind of keep your own self accountable, keep yourself in check to make the best decision. Eleventh, I would say this, think about what pleases God and will benefit your life. Seriously, think about what's going to please God and will benefit your life. And here's what I mean, in contrast to just having the approval of your friends, or just, in a sense, pleasing other people and having acceptance, or keeping up an image. How many people financially are struggling because they're just trying to keep an image? And that is so foolish. So who are you trying to impress? It'd be much better to have peace of mind and a sound life than trying to keep a certain image. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord shall be safe. 
And 12th, and finally in regards to the, how to make a healthy decision, I would say this as a 12th thing, listen to the guiding influence of the Spirit of God. If you are a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. God's presence is with you. The all-knowing God is with you, and His Spirit will work inside of your life to give you peace about things and a sense of rest and an assurance. And at times, his spirit will also give us a sense of unrest. That is, you may feel a little agitated about something or you're, I I don't know. We use the term, I got to check in my spirit. Look, don't ignore that stuff. Let the Holy Spirit give you peace and that confidence. Hey, I sincerely have a peace with doing this. It may take faith still, but I have a peace. This is from the Lord or the exact opposite. Does it feel forced? Does it feel like you're striving, like you're just trying to make it happen for whatever reason? And and, and again, that's maybe an indication of the Spirit is saying, I know things you don't know. Don't do that. I see something you don't see, and that's why I'm giving you an unrest about this. So again, listen to the guiding influence of the Spirit within you in making your decisions. Now, As we talk about this idea of the importance of decisions and how to make decisions, the third thing I want to kind of wrap up our time with is somewhat saying this, stay balanced. Yes, think through choices, but you have to make choices. (laughs) You got to make decisions. In other words, decision makers, guess what they do? They make decisions. They actually make choices. They do something. They carry things out. The key word, it's I think at the top of your second page there, uh, the second half of your, decisiveness. I purposely put a definition there to a degree because that's crucial. Decisiveness is settling an issue, bringing closure to something, arriving at a final result. It's the opposite of bouncing back and forth, remaining undecided, being indecisive, where you don't make a choice, where you do nothing either because of the, we say, paralysis of analysis, where you're always in such analysis, it just paralyzes you and you never do anything, or sometimes, let me show the other side of that, it's just a failure to execute. Sometimes men struggle with lack of decision-making and decisiveness simply because whether it's laziness, irresponsibility, it's just, just a lack to execute. You knew you had a decision to make, and you dropped the ball. You just failed to execute, and you never executed making a final determination. Look, this is crucial for decision-making. We have to finally act upon something. We need to move forward in a definite direction. Very, very important. And I'll tell you, some hindrances that can lead to being indecisive, guys, are things like being aware of the fear of failure in your life because it exists. Nobody likes to fail. Nobody likes to lose. And sometimes the fear of failure or not having approval makes us never do anything, and we're overly safe, and we're indecisive. Not good. Be careful of that. Another thing that can make someone indecisive is I would say this, beware of over-accommodating what others want, where you're someone who so wants to pacify other people and to always pacify this person or keep somebody happy or not have the friction, or, or you're overly trying to pacify other people, and therefore you never make the final decision. You never make a decision, and you struggle with decisiveness because you're too much trying to pacify a person, maybe your spouse or whoever it could be. 
and of course the obvious thing as well is just beware of laziness. As I said, leaving things unaddressed. Many times that's just laziness. Not executing, leaving things unaddressed is just oftentimes laziness. And indecision is a dangerous condition. James chapter one, look at it. He says, the double-minded man, that is the man who goes back and forth and back and forth, like somebody who has two different minds. The double-minded man is unstable, look at it, in all his ways, mentally, emotionally, circumstantially. There'll be constant instability if there's that fluctuating back and forth and never being a decisive person. 1 Kings 18 says it this way, as the people weren't sure if they wanted to serve God or the idols, remember, it says that the Lord spoke forth through the prophet saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God serve him, if you want to serve idols, do that, but how long are you going to waver back and forth between two opinions? Choose, in other words, he's saying. Make a decision. You know, John Maxwell, who wrote quite a bit about leadership and other things, he said this. I thought it was a good quote. The highway of life is filled with flat squirrels that could never make a decision. Is that good? Flat squirrels that could never make a decision. So again, time spent in proper decision should be relative to the impact of the decision. Let me say that again. Time spent in making a proper decision should always be relative to the impact of that decision. So the decision have a small impact? Stop overthinking it. Cut it out, man. You're killing yourself, and you're wasting time, and you're not doing anything. If it's a minor decision, don't overthink it. It's not life-altering. Avoid the paralysis of analysis and just pick Denny's or Shore Diner. It's not complicated. It's not going to be a life-altering. And sometimes with decisions, we think way too much about minor decisions, and they make us waste time and bog us down. On the other side of that, a large decision, large impact, large commitment, whatever, slow down. Slow down. Take the time that you need. Gather information. Get input. Let your emotions sort out. Maybe your perspective would change the next day. Three days later, a week later, the impact's going to be a big decision. It's going to have long-term effect, so take time and slow down. Now, I put in your notes there, just for sake of, again, for your content and reference, even on your own, some both good examples of decision-making illustrated in the Bible and some poor examples of decision-making illustrated. Some good decision-making illustrated in the Bible, whole book of Nehemiah, guys. Great book to learn about good decision-making. Read Nehemiah's you know, account and how he made decisions, good and wise decisions as a man and as a leader, which we are as well. 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan, great example of a good decision-maker. He takes a measured step of faith. Remember, he has an idea. I wonder if the Lord wants to give us victory over that Philistine garrison up there. And so he turns to the gentleman with him, his armor bearer, and he says, what do you think? I mean, God doesn't need a whole army to conquer people. Maybe God wants to do something. Maybe the Lord wants to work. A, so he says, let's do this. We'll take a measured step of faith. We'll go over there and we'll say, hey, who you guys think you are? And if they say, hey, wait there. We're going to come down there and teach you little knuckleheads a lesson. He says, we'll know that's God saying, I just gave you time to run. That was a stupid idea. Glad you took a measured step of faith. And because I love you, you have time to run away before you get killed. If they say to us, yeah, you think you're tough? Why don't you come up here and show us? So say, then we'll know that's the Lord saying, come on up, boys. I just invite, go get them. 
And I love it. The me- take a measured step of faith. You could take steps of faith with measured steps of faith. There's wisdom in that. Mary in the New Testament, it says that she chose the better things. She had two options, be busy, serve, do all these things, or spend time worshiping the Lord. It says she chose the better thing. That is, she chose to spend time with the Lord rather than just accomplish more tasks. Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Boy, that's a good illustration of making decisions. Sometimes you got to choose that. Are you going to obey a man, obey a person, or are you going to obey God? What are you going to do? Hebrews 11, the story of Moses, how he refused the passing pleasures of sin and instead chose to do what honored God instead of just temporary, initial, momentary gratification. He thought about the long term. And of course, Matthew gives us the story of Joseph with Mary. And again, another great picture there of making good, just decisions, not governed by his emotions. Now, as far as poor decision making, at least two pop out to me right away. One is the Gibeonite deception in Joshua 9 where the Israelites go into the land of promise and they're supposed to be conquering all the different people around them. And the Gibeonite people who knew they were going to get conquered were very crafty. So they come and they pretend like they're travelers from far away to deceive them. And they say, look, here's some old clothes that are all torn on our bodies and moldy bread. Look, we're not from the land. Make a peace treaty with us. And so they, it tells us that when they did that, that the Israelites sampled their provisions, that is, they looked at the circumstances, but they did not seek counsel of the Lord. Bad decision. They just looked at how it looked on paper. They just looked at the situation. They looked at the offer, but they didn't ask God. Lord, this looks good, but is there something we shouldn't, because God would have said, red light, no way, don't, don't do it, right? And so again, many times that's a way we make a bad decision. We just look at what we see in front of us with our eyes, and we don't seek God's counsel. Sometimes it's good to not you know, look and be led with our eyes, or we can make a bad choice sometimes. And then 1 Samuel chapter 13 is that record of the Israelites again, the Philistines coming against them, the men of Israel are scared, they're in danger. It tells us they're hiding in caves, and they're terrified for their lives, And there had been a seven-day period that was set by Samuel. He told Saul, look, wait seven days. Do not do anything for seven days. But he's fearful. His emotions are heightened. The circumstances are looking threatening and scary. Looks like the house of cards is falling in. So all of a sudden, Saul says, look, just bring me an offering. We can't keep waiting for Samuel. And and, and it's the seventh day. He hasn't got here yet. And and he kind of gives in. and, And he begins to make an offering to the Lord and an act, and it says that Samuel said to him when he finally arrived, and that always happens, right? Right after you get started. Then Samuel shows up and he says, what have you done? When I saw the people were scattered from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed, he said, and things were looking bad, he says, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Hear that? I felt compelled. How many times has a poor decision been made in our life and the lives of other men that we know because they felt compelled and under compulsion, they just acted. And it was compulsion that was driving them. It was their emotions. And he says, look, when we make poor decisions under compulsion, he says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. 
And then it says the Lord sought another man after his own heart. Of course, that was David. Look at that. He made a compulsory decision, and as a result of that, he lost a great opportunity. God removed him and replaced him. I mean, again, very, very important. We don't want to make these bad decisions. Sometimes, guys, we need to make a decision to change in some way to get off a course and make a change if we know that we're starting to head down a wrong trail before we go off the cliff and so that we can avoid that. Again, John Maxwell, once again, here's another quote from him. He said, if you don't change the direction that you are going, then you are likely to end up right where you are heading. Good reminder sometimes. If you don't change the direction you're going, it's likely you're going to just end up right where you're heading. So again, the importance and benefit and value of decisions. We have to realize our decisions determine our destinations. We have to realize people are depending upon us. The fruit of our life experiences is tied to our decisions. Our decisions are going to impact us. They can safeguard us and protect us. And it is crucial to know how, as a man, to make a decision. I can't emphasize that enough. And here's why, and we'll get to this topic shortly, leaders must be decision makers. Do you know why I do this session before I talk about leadership? Because if you don't know how and I don't practice and we don't become aware of the importance of decisions and how to make good decisions, we're not going to be good leaders because leaders are supposed to be and need to be decision makers. We don't have the option to not make decisions. And we don't have the option to make poor decisions, and we can't be afraid as men of making choices either. It is part of your duty as a man to make decisions. That is your calling. That is your role. That is what you are destined by God to do in your life as an individual and all the more when you're married and you have a family. We are designed to be making the choices, and we must do it and not be indecisive, and we've got to do it well. And look, when we make decisions at times, we're going to err. And here's my counsel to that. You make decisions, you err in your decisions. Here's my counsel. Just make it right. Don't cry over spilled milk. Make it right and keep going. And learn from it and continue to make better decisions. By the same token, I'll tell you this. Even when you make good and right decisions, here's what's going to happen, gentlemen. It will please some and it will always bother others. Make decisions anyway. Make decisions anyway. Continue to be the one making the decisions. And I'll tell you, a great motivator for navigating decision-making in my life is one of my two life verses I've mentioned before. It's the last verse in your notes there. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things of life, they'll be added or given to you. In other words, notice the priority and the principle there. Top priority, always seek to serve Jesus, serve the kingdom of God's purposes first. Make your decisions like that. i got to make a decision, this or this or that or this. What decision is going to help you to continue to walk with the Lord, to worship the Lord, to help your family serve the Lord? What decision is going to be best for your spiritual life and for kingdom impact? And he says, if you do that and I do that, all the other stuff, God will take care of that. And I tell you, I have lived by that verse in decisions I've made so many times. 
and God's never done me wrong. And so many times he has made it clear those words of our Lord have helped me many times to make the right decision. And by the grace of God, may they do the same for you. Let's stand together, guys, and let's pray. Father, thank you for all these precious, wonderful gentlemen, Lord, who come here and give an hour of their time early on a Saturday morning to just seek you and to let you pour into their lives. Lord, we all want to be better men. Lord, we want to be good men, godly men. Lord, may you continue by your spirit to water the things that you have spoken to each of our souls this day. And we love you and ask these things together in Jesus' name. And all the men said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming out this morning.